listening to First Church Charlotte. Um, if you want to post uh, prayer requests um, or questions or anything like that, we have our text room for that. I am going to to minimize. I'm to minimize uh, distraction. I'm going to turn off the microphones for a little while, and then we are going to get started. Uh, on this subject that I am particularly enjoying, uh, I decided a couple weeks back to do a study of every gospel message that is preached in the New Testament. And there are about eight of them uh, that are preached, and we have uh, a text of them. Now, I don't know that the summary, the written summary, is every word they spoke. In fact, I would be inclined to think it isn't. But the words we are given are a sort of um, like shorthand to the sermon, like as though you were to take notes or minutes of a sermon. Uh, minute, you know, at 6.15, Pastor Nate started preaching about how people need to do this. And at 8, 6.17, uh, he looked at his wife to make sure he was doing good. And at 6.19, uh, you know, that kind of like a summary of what they're preaching about. But we have, in the Bible, we have eight gospel messages, uh, uh, a handful of them by Peter, one of them by Stephen, and a handful of them by Paul. And so we are uh, starting with this theme, Preaching Like Peter, and you all will remember last week, if you were in our, in our Bible study, you will remember how we looked at uh, the message the Apostle Paul, uh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And on that day, there was a great birth in gathering, outpouring of the Holy Ghost on that day. And the Bible says that on that day, there were about 3,000, 3,000 that were uh, added to the church and made their, their, committed, their commitment to God. That scripture is when he ends, uh, in, when Peter ends in verse number 40, and he says, be saved from this perverse generation or save yourselves from this untoward generation is how it is given to us in the King James. The next very next verse, verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3000 souls were added to them. Speaking of the, the group of believers in uh, Jesus Christ, and verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. I love the way that's phrased because the uh, connotation is that there isn't just an apostolic way of doctrine or right theology. There's also an apostolic way of fellowship. Uh, I believe that uh, we are trying in our church, uh, we're emphasizing not just the Sunday gathering, but the week during the week, house to house fellowship. We want that to be part of our apostolic inheritance uh, also. Now, something happens just after that in the beginning. Let's see, it would be less like seven verses later. Peter and John are going up to the temple to pray. The temple served as a public gathering for the believers because it was a large complex that was primarily used on Saturday. Uh, the temple would have been full, packed with observant Jews on Saturday. 
the other six days of the week, the temple complex was largely empty. And so they had these large gathering areas, the largest, largest of which was the court of the Gentiles. And this is where the New Testament church started. And they could not meet on Saturday because the place was being used uh, and it was packed with observant Jews. So they came into the habit of meeting on Sunday rather than the last day of the week. They said, we're going to give the first day of the week uh, to the Lord. Paul would place his, his stamp of apostolic approval upon the uh, practice of observance and worship on Sunday, the first day of the week. And it is for us a day that we dedicate the, the whole of the week to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they are going up to the temple to pray at the hour of prayer, which is the ninth hour. This would have been three o'clock in the afternoon. The Jewish day began at about 6 a.m. And so the uh, ninth hour of the day would have been the middle of the afternoon. And we will pick up the story in verse number two. If you have your Bibles open in your lap, uh, follow along with me in uh, the, the scripture. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. It's the nature of all human institutions that even when we label our efforts beautiful, there is right beside them that which is ugly, that which is broken. All efforts of the flesh are like this. You do your best, but you can't really make it beautiful because uh, sin, uh, sadness, sorrow, despair, disaster is always right on the edges of our accomplishment. So he goes to a, a gate called beautiful, but there he is a very picture of a life that is filled with sorrow and struggle, and he begs for alms there. He sees Peter and John about to go into the temple, and he asks, ask for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us, pay attention, listen to me. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Isn't it interesting how what we want from God is not always what God gives us, but God knows what is best. We pray for plan A, God gives us plan B. But after you have received from the hand of God, you begin to understand that God's presence, God's gifts, God's generosity is way better than the wants of our heart and life. He's asking for gold or silver or anything, and God's going to give him not gold and silver, but health. In other words, God is not going to just help him. God's going to empower him. It's not enough for me to do for you. Let me change you so you can do for me and you. Do you see this connotation that is in the scripture? When God gives, it's not just about you getting from God. It is the gift from above that allows you to give to God and be blessed in the overflow of the, gift, the goodness and the generosity of God. And then this uh, famous passage that uh, preachers everywhere love to uh, hit the high note of the sermon and, and quote Peter saying, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he leaping up stood and walked and entered the temple with them. Notice as a lame uh, individual, he was not allowed into the temple. He was banished from the temple. A beautiful gate was as close as a person with an ugly disfigurement could come. They, they were stopped by the beauty of the gate. But silver and gold have I none. But what I have, I'm going to give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. This man does not just receive health to empower him, not just to help him, but to empower him. But he also receives access into the house of the Lord. None of these pictures, these images are by accident. None of these types are by accident. Every one of these examples where he's asking how Peter delivers the message, how he immediately leaps with joy and enters the temple with them. Verse 9, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So a moment of the miraculous, a moment of divine intervention. But what follows the miraculous? What is the point and purpose of the miraculous? Remember, in the life of Jesus Christ, he was known for his signs, his miracles. He was known as one who had spiritual authority. He was one who had words that they had never heard it like that before. But the point was not the miracle. The point was the gospel, the hope. They needed to believe on Jesus. This is one of the reasons why, and you guys have heard this taught before, but I don't even care. I love it, so you're going to have to hear it again. Um, this is one of the reasons why when Jesus uh, is at the resurrection of Lazarus and Mary and Martha cannot see that he is the resurrection and the life. That's why I think um, it broke Jesus's heart and he wept. He wept in such a manner that it was recorded by the witnesses there that he wept. You see, the miracle is not an end to itself. The miraculous is not an end to itself. It takes us somewhere in faith, and it takes us to this truth. He is the resurrection and the life. I want all of you to see this. As you're asking for the miraculous, all of that is signs. All of that is spiritual evidence. It's all demonstration. But it's not an end unto itself. It's all leading us to an understanding of who Jesus is. Thomas, have I been so long time with you? Or Philip, I should say, have I been so long time with you? And you know, you don't know who I am. It's not about the miraculous. It's about knowing him and knowing who he is and living our life in conjunction with the ministry hope. He has made possible through Calvary. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer pilgrims, but we have been adopted into the body of Jesus Christ. Wherever you're at right now, say amen real loud in your house so it'll e echo back to you right now. Just say amen real loud. See, that way your neighbors can hear amen even if I can't.
people gathered around. People gathered around. Why? Because of the miracle. They were amazed because of the miracle. It is not in our nature to appreciate the kingdom of God. It's in our nature to appreciate the power of God. You need to understand this because even believers can fall into this trap. If the Lord wanted to demonstrate his power, he could go, go make a galaxy somewhere. But what he desires is a relationship with you. Power is a part of his demonstration. It is a part of who he is. It is a part of the sign of heaven come to earth and the kingdom of God in the earth as it is in heaven. Yes, but the point is fellowship with God. The point is us in his kingdom in spiritual a relationship. And so when people are amazed and gathered around by the miracle, Peter decides, decides it's time to preach. Notice this miracle leads to the gospel. It is not the gospel leading to the miracle. It's the miracle leading to the gospel. At the end of every miracle service needs to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the end of every testimony by a believer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are not your own. You have been purchased by the blood of the Lamb. All things can be made new to you. There is hope in the power and the promises of God, do you see? And so, verse number 12, when Peter sees that everyone is gathered in as a result of this, he begins to preach, starting in verse number 12, going down for the next handful of verses. Peter is preaching his second gospel sermon that we have the cliff notes to, if you uh, will allow me to say it that way. Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us? as though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. The thing that follows amazement at the miraculous is the calculation of the flesh to try to understand how it happened. Because if we can master it, we can make a tool out of it. And if we can make a tool out of it, it will serve us rather than leading us to God. And so he immediately corrects the human tendency to try to Put God in a box and make God serve you rather than humbling yourself and serving God. And he wants them to know this miracle hasn't happened because of their power. If that was the case, it would be appropriate for them to honor Peter and John. It would be appropriate for them to bargain, uh, make proffer, so to speak, to Peter and John. But Peter points out it was not by power, nor, and here he appeals directly to the, 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 the heart of the Jewish uh, people with their, their deep love for order and uh, their deep reverence for uh, a kind of Pharisee um, uh, exception to the rest of the world and a Pharisee disapproval of everyone else. Peter says, identifies both power and he also identifies God, godliness as if to say, it's not my power that did this. And I'm not good enough to deserve it. Now, this is important because if you try to take the power of God as a label, there's always a risk that God becomes your promotion, not you become God's promotion. Do you see? All this is errors of the flesh. Peter snips it right at the very beginning. He stops it immediately. First of all, just to be clear, this miracle isn't by my hand or by my power. Second of all, I don't deserve it. This is not about my goodness. 
Uh, this is the right approach to all the great works of God. Else we are tempted like the children of Israel to worship the, uh, bur the, the, the brazen serpent rather than the God who sent healing among them. We honor the thing, not the God it represents. Uh, so it is when we use God as our label. Um, so it is when we're tempted to try to uh, promote ourselves to show how good we are, how powerful we are, how mighty we are. Um, that That is a, uh, a dangerous path. Peter stops it at the beginning. First of all, I, this has my power. Second of all, I'm not good enough to deserve this. As though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. He continues, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. He goes straight to the heart of the matter. Excuse me. All right. Continuing straight to the heart of the matter. You bear guilt in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He does not allow them to pretend that it was some other community that had perpetrated so much, uh, so, so much evil in the name of good. They were the ones. It was their cheers. And he says, even when Pilate wanted to let Jesus go, uh, it it was not to be, you denied, verse 14, you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him Christ has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The one you crucified was the power behind the miracle. The one you betrayed was the power behind the miracle. All uh, repentance must follow upon the, it must, it must in some way reflect upon the decision of the person who realizes they need to repent. It's very, very hard to see people grow in spiritual progress if they don't believe they need to repent. Peter is not going to allow them to live as though all is well. He is going to preach conviction to them, and he knows what they want, which is the miraculous. And he also knows that they have to understand what they have done. And so he continues, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. Now, interesting. This is a transition. This is a gear shift. First is conviction. You did it. You're the dirty dog. It was your evil. You could have uh, shouted for him to be let go, but you said, give us Barabbas. But I know you didn't do it in knowledge. You did it in ignorance. Now, this is a big transition. Um, as preachers, there's uh, certain types of personality that love to preach conviction. Um, uh, as an evangelist, I was encouraged uh, to preach a lot of conviction. I'll never forget preaching for pastors and being letting me know they were a little bit disappointed. Um, 
because I was uh, not, you know, getting on people enough. And uh, <laughs> uh, you'd have to evangelize to understand that dynamic. But um, it's been my under, it's been my insight that people often, because of their personality, they will have a tendency. They'll either really like conviction preaching, preaching, and they will they will break it down, make it plain. They will beat you up the left side and down the right side. And there's other people who they like. They they by their personality tend to preach more grace and hope, and they they try to build you up and believe you can make it. Here's the reality. There is no right and wrong. What there is, is a tool on the left and a tool on the right that is all directed in its symmetrical application to a spiritual purpose. And so there's a place for conviction preaching, and there is a place for hope preaching, a place for rebuke, and a place for encouragement. Peter is not just following, and this is important, the tendency of his personality. He is using the gifts he has to bring about a mission in the hearts and minds of these people. He can preach conviction. He can preach grace. He can preach them both in the same message. This is a big deal because all of us who seek, excuse me, all of us who seek to be effective communicators of the gospel we have to find our way. My goodness. Apologies, apologies. We have to find our way to be able to communicate the judgment of God and the mercy of God, the uh, truth of our condition and the mercy of God's heart. And so you see Peter do both of these. Verse 18, but, but those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. Notice this. He's not just preaching conviction and hope. He's not just saying you need to hit this altar and then saying encourage and then God's going to meet you in this altar. He's also bringing together the whole of all things. You need to repent so you can be ready when Christ returns. Christ has to go away for now until the fulfillment of these things. But when he returns, you will receive refreshing from the presence of of God. Now, Peter's going to do the same thing. Verse number 22. He's going to do the same thing that he did in Acts chapter number two. Remember how he did not ask them to believe his own words, but he quoted from the prophets and he quoted from the prophet Joel and he quoted from Moses. Now he's going to do the same thing. He's going to tie it together. He's going to build a bridge between what he is wanting them to believe and what he knows they already believe. This is connection. This is what spiritual effective communication is. It's connection. You find what their foundations are and you bridge what you're trying to help them see to what you know they've already accepted and what they've already trusted. Uh, this is bridge building. Sometimes what we do in, in spite of this is we try to break down what they believe, first of all, and then replace it with what we believe. We try to first convince them they were, they're wrong. And then we try to convince them that we're right. 
Um, there is a place for that. There are, there is, uh, and we're going to go through all the, the, the gospel messages of the New Testament. This is the second one. There is a place for that, um, particularly when you know uh, contention is there. Um, but that's not what Peter is doing. The only thing that he has, as it were, uh, sort of had a, you know, gotten their face over was that they needed to repent. Uh, after that, after he, he gets in their face about that, now coming down here, he is going to connect them. He's taken them to something he wants them to believe. He's going to connect them to what he already knows they believe. Verse 22, for Moses truly said to the fathers, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. He is connecting Jesus to what he knows they believe. They already believe and they know and they can quote what Moses has said. This is true spiritual connection, building a bridge between what they need to know and what they already know. Verse 23, and it shall be that every and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. They believe this already. This is Moses speaking. Uh, he is not now asking them to do something that is just in some way trusting on him. Peter's word. He's connecting them to Moses. Now he goes broader. He did this before. In chapter number two, he connected Moses, the prophet Joel. Now he's going to broaden verse 24. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. Now, more connection. What he wants them to know with what he knows they already believe. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham and in your seed. More, more quoting Abraham. Actually, not, uh, not, not more quoting. Uh, he was quoting Moses. Now he's quoting Abraham. He's already quoted Moses. He's brought in all the prophets. Covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you, and in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. He ends with the hope of the washing away of sin. He started with, you're a sinner. He ends with the hope of Jesus Christ washing away all your iniquities. Let me say it again. He started with, you dirty dogs, crucified the Lord of glory. <laughs> he ends with, the one you crucified is going to wash away all your iniquities. Can you see the power of spiritual connection? And what Peter is doing, whether you go to Acts chapter number two or whether you go to Acts chapter number three, these two messages, the first two messages of the New Testament church preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, they are following the same format. There's one thing that is clear. There's one thing that is, if you'll say, almost confrontational, and that is this. You need to repent. You crucified the Lord of glory. But outside of that, there is this sense of hope, this sense of see how all of these things were meant to be. Peter connects to what they already know. He connects to what they already believe in, and he builds a bridge to where they are. This theme you will see repeatedly in the gospel messages of the church. 
in the New Testament. How does that apply for us? How does that apply for us? We are always in the business of reminding people they need to repent. Not in a judgmental way, but in an all-inclusive way. We all need to turn our hearts toward God. We turn away from the things of this world. Very few people will take offense at that, that kind of a statement that we all of us need to lift our eyes heavenward and be more like God uh, than the flesh that we are living in. Uh, we are clear about that. We are clear about the need to repent. Um, but outside of that, we are looking for connections to where they are. We're looking for things they already they already believe in. The Apostle Paul will actually take it further, and we'll get to him. Uh, we have one more Peter sermons, then we'll switch to maybe maybe we'll switch to preaching like Stephen or preaching like Paul. Um, but uh, we'll get there when we get there. But the point the uh, Paul will actually find their poets and their philosophers. And he, showing his deep education, will quote their own poets and prophets, but then he connects them to Jesus. So think of the people in your life and think of the, what they already respect. Find a way to complement the character in them that is already something of which God could be pleased. Very few people are uniformly uh, uh, uniformly antichrist. Uh, most people, while sinners, yes, no doubt about that. Um, they they will have attributes. They will have things they do to help others. Um, we connect the gospel of Jesus Christ to what they're already doing, to what they're already claiming, to what they're already. We are not in any way minimizing the gospel of Jesus Christ because remember the preaching of the gospel is the entry door into the kingdom. What's going to follow upon that? Well, how about baptism? Both water and spirit. Water's a decision in a moment you can do before people. Spirit takes time. You have to tarry. Uh, but it, uh, not, not everyone, but most people have to tarry a little bit. They have to get comfortable with being caught away in the spirit. Um, and when that happens, now they're baptized in spirit. They were baptized in water. What's going? Now we are growing. We are walking together. We're doing life and ministry together. We are joined together in the body of Christ, and that body of Christ helps us become in a both positive and a negative, and it takes both. All useful power needs positive and negative to create flow. In other words, there's going to be people in the church that are perfect examples of who you should be, and there's going to be people in the church who are perfect examples of who you should not be. <laughs> That cracks me up. Um, the point I'm trying to say is we cannot uniformly blame the church just because there's people of imperfection in the church, just because there's error in the church. Um, if the church was perfect, it wouldn't be a place where we would be welcome. Uh, we would ruin it single-handedly. You know that. And so we are going to go from gospel to growth. We're going to go from turning about face, repent about face. We're going to go from that to marching in a different direction. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. And then the purpose of it all is enabled. And that is relationship with God as father. Do you see? The purpose begins and we begin to walk with him. 
we begin to be transformed by him. We spend our time in his presence. We seek his face. The gospel is the repent. (laughs) It's the repent. It's the about face. Turn from this way of the world. Turn from serving self. Turn from man's religion. Turn from human plan for self-perfection. Turn from that. Cast your eyes on Jesus. Walk in his direction. And what starts as repentance turns into discipleship. This moment of gospel conversion, this moment of the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, enabling them to turn away from the old way of being and begin to walk toward Jesus Christ. This is what happens upon the hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we initiate the power of God, the kingdom of God, the word of God, our testimony to people, we start at that same place where we seek to connect. And then after connection comes opportunity for them to turn, for them to. Now, very rarely will we be given a pulpit like Peter was. Very rarely will we have a crowd of people around us saying, what just happened? We do it one-on-one. Now, you could do a different Bible study. You could go through the New Testament and just look at all the one-on-one conversations. That's how I like to study, incidentally. Um, You look at all the one-on-one conversations. We're looking at the gospel messages where where it was preached, where there was a crowd and people gathered around. Um, And so there is a uniqueness in that regard to these gospel uh, sermons. Um, I want to I want to just uh, end with this, and I'm going to quit early um, because first of all, it's good for us to do that. Some second of all, my my voice is nonstop, wanting trying to make me cough. So um, remember these points. Number one, they were on their way to pray. The miracle wasn't a planned demonstration. They were on their way to pray. Uh, they were walking with the Lord. And an opportunity presented it, presented itself. And in the moment of that opportunity, Peter was spiritual enough to see the opportunity. What would have happened if he would have just found a coin in his pocket and gave it to him and kept going? I think um, many people live that way where I'm afraid I have done that many times where I wasn't aware of the effective door that the spirit had opened. <coughs> And so he didn't miss his opportunity. The Lord answers the faith of Peter and the man is healed. Miracle draws attention. Peter is aware, uh, becomes aware of the second opportunity of the miraculous. Here again, he could have missed it. He could have just said, oh, isn't that wonderful? Let's all applaud. He would have missed it. There's several things that had to happen. Uh, for this gospel message to be preached, they needed to be going to pray. <laughs> this is all a, a different level Bible study right here. They 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 needed to be going to pray. Peter needed to have the faith to see what God could do. He had to speak out in that faith for the miracle to happen. Now, the miracle happened. It draws attention. Peter then has to have more than just spiritual sensitivity. He has to have missional sensitivity. Spiritual sensitivity sensitivity will tell you, let's pray for this man's healing. Gospel or missional sensitivity 
will say, man, look at all these people gathering. It's time to preach the gospel. Now, here again, you get back to personality types. I know people who are strong on the spiritual side. They love to pray for someone to get healed. But they're not strong at then talking to those people and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. On the other hand, I know people that are pretty good to share the gospel, but they aren't spiritually sensitive to the moment when the miraculous could work. We are praying for that kind of spiritual maturity. I'm praying for it. You are praying for it to see the opportunity because it's out of this miracle. Out of the spiritual opportunity becomes the missional opportunity. And this message is preached and uh, they, there is uh, uh, a big enough revival that it catches the attention of the Sanhedrin, uh, the Sadducees, which was the Sanhedrin council was almost all Sadducee, the priest, the captain of the temple. There's this great disturbance because man, they are having revival. All right, that's enough. Let's pray. Lord, I'm praying that we would have the same kind of spiritual sensitivity that Peter demonstrated here, where he, on his way to pray, was sensitive enough to see the opportunity for a miracle. And having had the faith for a miracle, he was sensitive enough to see the opportunity for the mission. And now, attention gathered, people uh, around, he sees the mission that is now open to him. Lord, I'm praying particularly for our church, our ministry teams, our small group leaders, our pastors. God, I'm praying for that dual, dual sensitivity where we're spiritually sensitive and we're also missionally sensitive. Lord, we don't want to be so missional that we close the door to the spiritual, but we want to create open doors for both the spiritual and the missional. And so we'll feed people, but we also want to have a prayer tent where people pray. Uh, we will help people, but we also want to pray together. Uh, we'll mentor people's kids like it's happening right now at Prosper You. But we're going to make sure that we have a worship time and a prayer time together. Because, Lord Jesus, we can't be so spiritual that we think spiritualism is the mission. And we can't be so missional that we think there's no room for the spirit because we're trying to dig a well or feed the hungry. Lord Jesus, there's a great balance in the kingdom of God. I'm praying for your direction. I'm praying for your anointing. In Jesus' name, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Um, I just saw uh, uh, in the text here, uh, Pastor Lisa mentioned that Debbie, Debbie Clark lost her dad Saturday. I actually did not know that. I, I want to pray for her right now. I want us also to pray for um, the Lazarus family. Kim lost her father recently. I want us to pray for them. Um, also needs among us, we need to pray for um, Dan Smith uh, for healing, um, special request for Holly Camp. Uh, we also need to pray for some of you who have uh, ongoing uh, processes of healing, like Brother Carlos, like uh, his son Jordan, like my dad, um, Bishop Helms, uh, and so many other prayer requests, Mary, Mary Alato. Um, I, don't, I don't have all of them written down in front of me. Uh, but I've given a bunch of names. Let's pray for these people right now. And I'd like you to join with me in praying for them. Lord Jesus, we are praying for our sister, uh, Debbie Clark, uh, lost her father in this time of loss and sorrow. We're also praying for those people in our church who, uh, in similar manner, have uh, been in bereavement. Uh, Brother Paul Burns lost his father. Uh, 
Kim Lazarek lost uh, her father. Um, uh, Daryl Mackey lost his uh, uh, father or, or mother, I believe. Uh, we need your sustaining uh, power. We need your sustaining help. Be with us, Lord. Make us strong in spite of sadness and sorrow. Lord, we pray for those sick among us. Uh, we pray for uh, Dan uh, Smith. We pray for Holly Camp. We pray for uh, Brother Carlos. We pray for little Jordan. We pray for little Jaden, Lord Jesus. Um, we pray for uh, Sister Mary Alato. We pray for Sister Clarissa. Uh, there's so many, Lord. Uh, there's others I'm not remembering uh, right now. Would you, in the same manner of Acts chapter number three, would you do the miraculous among us that the gospel might be promoted? Would you make yourself known through the miraculous that we might encourage people to begin relationship with you, to walk with you, to be led by your spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you. We bless your name. We love you. We honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm not going to do questions tonight because of my voice. Um, I need to quit. <laughs> and so um, I love you all. God bless you all. I've turned your mics back on so you can greet one another um, as you as you leave. Um, we, we Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.